Welcome to episode 49 of the Five for Together podcast. Just counting our money for our chair fund. How much do we have? Um, 287, I forget now. But oh, wow. Something like that. Incredible. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. All right. Welcome, everyone. Tonight, we are going to be talking about three lessons that we learned from running 24 hours with our kids. So Yeah. <laughs> and even though I didn't run, I was moving. Trust me. You're chasing the three-year-old. Three-year-old. I was vlogging and making sure everyone stayed hydrated. So a little bit of context here. Yesterday, we finished a 24-hour race at 9 a.m., which meant that we started it 24 hours before on a Saturday at 9 a.m. And it's this course that was around this state park in Cleveland. It's about a mile long. And basically, so there's more than 100 people, like 112 people, I think. They start... And you just run around this freaking circle <laughs> as many times as you can in 24 hours. It's right on Lake Erie, so it's beautiful. But the only even that beautiful, <laughs> the only beautiful part of Cleveland that we experienced <laughs> in our short stay there. Um, but I don't want to paint it as being boring because it really was not that, which I thought it was going to be, and I think other people thought that maybe it would be like i heard people be like oh running around a circle for an hour but it was anything but boring so it wasn't boring for you at all it wasn't that's interesting it just wasn't i mean it was long yeah and it was hard but the scenery i mean first of all it's not around a track yeah so you're not um i don't know there's there's different scenery there's and there's a hundred people that you're always saying kind of hi to and the people are always changing and it's a public park so there's a lot of just other people people watching coming and going. people are like working out and there was yeah. rollerbladers which i have a soft i got spot. some shots of this guy doing pull-ups oh really <laughs> yeah oh that's good he's like muscle men and and then the weather was changing and of course the daylight is changing so at one point it's super duper hot and then another point it's pitch black and every time you go around, what is like 0. 0.08 or 0. 0.8 miles, you hit a food, a food tent, a hydration tent, and if you want your body to be worked on, they can do that for you too. And there's this whole like tent city setup where it's yeah, like everyone's crew or support people are all there and everyone's just sitting there cheering you on blasting music mm-hmm. and you can stop basically every mile and at least get a sip yeah or take a bite or you know get your feet looked at or whatever it would be yeah. so it wasn't boring yeah That's... and this was something that very similar to our other challenges we gave all of our kids the option to do and we said hey 
were thinking about doing this. Actually, it was their it was their idea. They initiated Especially this. Eden seemed the most enthusiastic about it when Harvey first told us about it. Yeah, she she was the one that gravitated towards it. And then I thought, oh, this actually could be interesting or fun. So then I opened it up to other kids. Yeah. And I said, if we're going to register you for this, then I would at least like you to commit to 26 miles, at least trying. Because mm-hmm. that's what's kind of cool about it. With All the kids have done marathons already that ran it. So we had five kids ages 8 to 18 participate. So we said, we want you to commit to trying. And and Felia went back and forth for quite a bit, our 8-year-old. I think she was the only one. Memory, maybe, our 12-year-old. She spent a little yeah, bit more time deciding. Bit. And finally, everyone was like, yeah, we want to do it. Yeah. And the other cool thing about this is there's this vibe on the trail where there's no... I mean, people are competing. Like, a few people are competing for top spots. But a lot of people are just showing up basically competing against themselves or to push themselves yeah so what that means is you can take a break people were sleeping for three hours during the hottest part of the day Mm -hmm. because they're planning on running through the middle of the night you know right you can walk the entire time you can do a lap and then you know walk a lap you can it, it was just so flexible yeah um So anyways, that's the context, that's the vibe, and I want to share with you three things that that we experienced this weekend that I think will benefit you to hear about, because it was a really unique experience for us. Most people don't do this, period, and especially with their kids. So I found myself reflecting, as Mm -hmm. I had a lot of time to do. (laughs) Um, So let's just get into it. The first thing is we have found it very beneficial to provide environments where kids can find their limits. So I want to tell a story. Um, When we were planning for this, we found out that a tradition for ultra marathons is to get like a belt buckle like a steel belt buckle that's like personalized and kind of badass well not personalized but custom for the race uh if you run 100 miles like 100 miles is a pretty momentous thing and turns out not very many people are able to achieve that no it's very hard which we knew up front but we've run 26.2 and we thought well we have a lot more time so why not shoot for something so me and Eden especially, but I think a few other kids, decided we'd like to go for 100 miles. Like, that sounds cool. It sounds doable. It sounds like it would really push us. And I don't know. I kind of thought I might do it. I think Eden was pretty sure she would do it. I think Eden could have gotten pretty dang close if her knee didn't come go out, but... Well, so that's going to be our story that you're jumping (laughs) ahead to. Um, And Eden is 16. And about 30 miles in, so we finished the first marathon. Everything's going good. Yeah. And about 30 miles in, she starts complaining about knee problems. 
And mm-hmm. I, I actually haven't even got the specifics about it exactly because I wasn't really... There was, was like doctors there that were looking at it. One of her knees, yeah. And it was the type of thing that wasn't just buck up and suck it up. It was like, oh, we don't want permanent damage to happen here. Mm-hmm. These doctors are like specifically like running doctors. And they're the types that are used to ultramarathons, so they're used to pain. Like, yeah. You know, normally I'm kind of worried about going to doctors because doctors would say things like, well, kids shouldn't be running. Mm-hmm. These doctors weren't like that. These, I mean, there was this 80 four-year-old guy that had Mm -hmm. been a doctor at the race for the last 11 years and he had competed in it every year including this year (laughs) so he was running it he won his age division i don't know what his exact mileage was but he was i mean he was this doctor that he won his age division i think maybe there was two people that were over 80 but i don't think there was he was hauling ass though oh i'm not saying he wasn't i'm just saying it's kind of funny (laughs) because he was probably the only 80 some um so anyways, these doctors were, you know, they were, their goal was to keep people out on the course as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of saying like, you know, we kind of think you should take it easy. And Eden wasn't really listening. She was like, no, I can do this. So she went out there. And then I kind of kept on saying, well, she, at one point she was like kind of in tears, both from the pain and from just, I think. Disappointment. Yeah. And then I remember the first time she was in the tent and it kind of hit me, oh, I think she's kind of done. The wind just left my sails too because I was like, she was kind of like my inspiration for pushing it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know. It was so weird because I felt like, oh, if I'm a good dad, am I supposed to like not I knew she was going to face disappointment. So I was like, should I just sit here with her and kind of be miserable and also be disappointed? But then I knew I don't think that would really help her disappointment. Yeah. And she's the type where if you are too, if you try to like help her too much, (laughs) she it's almost like she irritates her. (laughs) Like she just wants, she's very independent. She likes to be miserable by herself. Yeah. So she kind of kept on running another mile or two, and they they adjusted a few things first, and they said, try this, this should help it, and it didn't. And finally, what I heard, I think numerous people were telling us, but finally Harvey Lewis, who is the, a Cincinnati friend of ours, an ultra-marathon runner that went on to win the race. He's the one who told us about this race. He tells her, Eden, walk, or something like that. And for some reason, she listen listen to him yeah and but she's sitting there crying in the tent and so much is happening right there and the easiest way i can share about this is we're in the process of making this vlog or video about this event which i would encourage you to watch even though i haven't made it yet i think it'll better show the magic of this event and the impact for our family Mm-hmm. So it's going to be one of those videos we put a lot of time into editing. But I had this storyline worked out in my head, which is it's very similar to every marathon we've done, which is, okay, this is going to be hard, but we, like, decide to do it, and then it gets harder, and then and we, like, bear really down. don't really know what the outcome really is going to be. Well, I guess people do. 
we don't, but we do. It's it's like a simple storyline. It's like it's hard, but then do we quit or do we keep yeah. on going? And then it's like right. we always keep on going. Yeah. And then we finish it, and it's like hurrah, we beat the what is that man versus machine or something? I don't know what it is. Man versus himself. Mm. Something we want. We beat the marathon. Yeah. And I thought this is going to be similar. You know, we set this goal. We face it. We, if it's just a matter of willpower, we overcome it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that way. And I see my kid breaking down, like facing disappointment. And there's a part of me that yeah. felt like, why are we here? It just occurred to me that it was it's a microcosm of what we experienced with the Appalachian Trail because it wasn't as short as a marathon. Uh, so it was long enough that you kind of had these like ebbs and flows of like, oh, is are we doing, should we be doing this? Should we, you know, this, this kid is having this issue. Maybe we should bail. Um, but if we bail, that's, that's going to mean this. I mean, it's just all these different questions so what i realized going back to this main topic is that providing environments where kids can find their limits another way to describe finding your limits could be defined as failure i don't like that word because it has a negative connotation to it but it's but your limit is how far you are I, not able to go i actually and i saw this really clearly actually in this 24-hour race even for myself i felt like i took something away in that like if you don't fail in your life, if you don't fail, um, you actually don't grow very much. Like if you just think, if you just keep going, like the kids who just succeed, 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 they don't, if they don't know how to handle failure, I think how to handle failure is where you actually grow. Yeah. It's interesting. I think it's, yeah, it is one of the things that, well, I've, Mount Rainier is a mountain in Washington. It's the second tallest, third tallest peak in the United States. Um, and people say it's the most difficult climb in the lower 48. And I've been to the top five or six times. And it's one of the harder things I've done in my life, I guess. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that I've attempted it probably about 15 times. So 10 times I failed or I reached a limit of some sort. One time it was my brother getting sick. One time, the last time it was like, we saw these two Europeans almost die. Like a rock slide came right over their freaking heads. They disappeared. It was dark. We couldn't see their headlamps anymore. And then we were like, did we just witness we are people not dying? Feeling it. Get us the fuck yeah. off this mountain. Um, and, but every time I failed, it caused me to respect the mountain mm -hmm. more. It was a humbling experience. Instead of just being like, oh, there's the mountain. I'm going to go climb to the top. Yeah. Zip, bang, I did it. And I yeah. think we had a bit of that attitude to this 100-mile marker. We're like, oh, these mm -hmm. people can run 100 miles. So can we. Mm -hmm. Let's go do it. How hard can it be? And it, it, it was hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was uh, – I respect that distance and those people in a very different way now. Mm -hmm. But I guess this is my point. As a parent, it's very easy and natural, I mean, to do this for myself, but especially for my kids, to keep them from environments that 
stretch their actual limits Mm -hmm. or that where they can actually discover them. I mean, like, think about, let's talk about the easy example of a mom with a toddler. You know, kids are climbing trees, you know, that are like, let's just say a bush, and they're like three feet up. It's not going to be fatal. Worst thing that can happen, I suppose, is they could break an arm. But we're like, it's so natural to be like, no, 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 like, Mm -hmm. don't, don't climb up that high because you might fall. Whereas, like, a lot of European style of parenting is like, yeah, they fall or they don't fall, but they learn every single time. And by not letting, putting them in an environment where they can fall, they're not learning those limits. And that's, maybe that's an extreme example because it's just physical. The hardest for me wasn't the physical, it was watching Eden reach her limit emotionally. She wanted this thing and she couldn't have this thing. This thing in her mind was success. I think I have felt watching my kids go through failure that some something would be irreversibly damaged with them if they experience failure. So I think as a parent, I've dealt with a lot of fear around that. Well, I think it's also easy to feel like a bad parent. Right. If your kid fails or is crying. I mean, imagine your kid crying. There's this pressure to do something about it. Right. When really in this instance, the only thing we could do about it was not to have entered the race. And I think that would probably go through a lot of people's mind is like, well, what if they only make it four miles? Mm-hmm. Um, well, what if your limit's four miles? Maybe that's a huge success to experience that limit. Yeah. But to be around other people, and we'll get to this later, that are pressing their limits. Yeah. I had a moment in the tent with Eden where she was crying and I said a few things, but I was pretty silent and I was just kind of watching her and even just thinking about things for myself, like, oh, should I talk? I don't know if I should talk. She seems like she, and then the physical therapist interrupted and started talking to her. And then I started thinking, oh, maybe I should have talked. I should have talked like she's talking. I started feeling like, oh, I'm a bad parent because I didn't talk enough. But now that I think about it, I think I was intuitively knowing that wasn't going to help her. Like just my presence probably would just be helpful to a certain degree. But it's interesting how you're always second guessing yourself as a parent. You're like, oh, but, I mean, there's nothing I could have done really in that at that point. So. so some of the limits our kids saw in this race was sleep. Like they ran into points where they like, had to had to or couldn't go any further except for Eden and that's (laughs) rare because usually we're like oh you're tired like you should go to sleep mileage we put them in an environment where they actually um like there was no it was like an infinite goal Right, like it was, ne- you know, if, if they, cr- even cross country, it's like a three mile. They race had to self regulate themselves, like when even our eight year old, like, you know, we would help her some, but if she wanted to run, then she could run. If she wanted to stop, she could stop. And so the story went on, and Eden, she decided to still keep on going. She just walked. She mm-hmm. like hobbled. Mm-hmm. And she walked through the entire night. She was the only member of our family to not sleep at all. So she walked for 24 hours. Well, she moved for 24 hours. Yeah. So it was like, um, I don't know how much time she spent running. Maybe like six six or seven hours is my guess. 
Mm-hmm. And then she walked for probably 18 hours. Mm-hmm. And she clocked in right at 60 miles um, to meet kind of her secondary goal. Mm-hmm. And it was huge. And it, she still felt like a failure in terms of her primary goal, like a, in terms of what her plan was, mm-hmm. of what she set out to accomplish for that day. Yeah. But I watched an incredible amount of growth happen I think, or things that will result in her growth in the long term by wrestling with that. Who am I really? Like, oh, now that I didn't reach 100 miles, am I still a valuable person? Am I still good enough? Or do I suck? Or, you know. And um, our other daughter, Dove, she was dealing with a lot of of those issues as well in her own way. She actually had a similar knee problem as Eden. And she, she was so frustrated because... She felt the limitations, the physical limitations of her body because she had all this energy um, to, to do a lot more, but her body was crapping out on her. So this is my challenge to some of you out there, um, just based upon our experience, is are there environments that you could facilitate your kids being in or at least not prevent them from being in so that they could find and explore their limits. And what I would finally say as parents, what we have found to be very valuable is to celebrate those limits, not to create shame around them. So when Eden hit this point where it could be physical, it could be emotional to say, Instead of saying, well, you didn't do it, or, oh, you got a B instead of an A, or, oh, you got beat by eight people, saying, hey, like, I'm glad you're out here, and I love you the same, and I think it's so cool that you tried, and mm-hmm. I think that you didn't give up, mm-hmm. um, or whatever the positive things are, but I think kids being willing to face it's so possible to go through all of your entire life protecting yourself from those limits so you never get hurt mm-hmm. physically or emotionally. And for our kids to face that and to find that, I felt like I learned about myself better, I learned about them better, and I think our relationship grew stronger through that. Yeah. All right, we need to pause for an advertisement now. If you were on the podcast you heard that youtube you lucked out for now now we move on to point number two um which is um don't force great activities model great activities so i wanted to share the story for this one about flea our eight-year-old and she she was so funny. So she had run 26.2 miles before in a marathon three times. And, and technically, I guess an ultra marathon is anything over a full marathon. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could go 26.3 and call it an ultra. <laughs> but we decided, yeah. or I mean, letting her know, we said, hey, why don't you go for 27? And that, yeah. that's an ultra marathon. And she was like, fine, great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have all day to do it. So she ran like 12 miles. I think. And then she was like, this is hot. I don't want to run anymore. I want to go play in the lake, which is right next to it. And mm-hmm. we're like, fine, go for it. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like 
noon or one or really two, hot. super yeah. hot. Mm-hmm. And all these kids are out there playing. She saw all the kids playing. She was like, mm-hmm. I want to be out there playing. So she went out and played. And then she sat around for an hour plus after that or something. I mean, mm-hmm. you know more than I do because I was yeah. running. And then she was like, I want to run some more. Mm-hmm. So then she ran some more. <laughs> and I kept on saying like, hey, do you want to walk with me? Because, well, about 12 hours into it, mm-hmm. I could not run anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, after I did the marathon, I was just like dying. And after then, you did the length of a marathon? Yeah, 26 miles. Yeah. And then I decided to walk two laps. And I thought mm-hmm. I was like kind of giving up because I'd never done one of these before. But it turns out a lot of people walk for mm-hmm. huge parts of it. Yeah, to you give your body so like a break. Yeah. So I kept on saying, hey, do you want to walk with me? And she was like, no, I want to run. <laughs> so she ran. And then didn't like, and then she did that for another five miles maybe. And then she was like, I want to go swimming again. <laughs> right? Maybe. I lost track. <laughs> uh, I don't, her and memory were kind of doing their own thing. And then she went swimming again. Mm-hmm. And and I'm kind of thinking like, okay, well, I don't know if she's even going to finish the 26 miles in this time, but whatever. Like, you know, it's her choice. Because we were thinking she was going to sleep for a good portion of the night. Yeah. So then she comes back, and this is around maybe 9 or 10 p.m. It's, like, dark. And Cammie's, like, trying to put her to bed because we have this, like, tarp that she can just, like, sleep on in the park that's right next to the track. And she was like, I don't want to go to sleep. I want to run some more. (laughs) So we're like okay mm-hmm. run some more so she did yeah and then she at one point she did sleep for like three hours but she said i want you to wake me up so i woke up i think at four or five a.m mm-hmm. it was dark and she said that she wanted to get up to run also mm-hmm. so i woke her up and then she ran and Long story short, at the end of 24 hours, she had run, her goal was to run 27 miles. She finished 41 miles. Mm-hmm. 13 more, a full half marathon more than even her goal. Yeah. And there's this amazing picture that someone took of her running side by side next to Harvey, the guy that finished the race, the finalist that ran 130 plus miles. And they're running side by side because at, at in the morning, like the middle of the night, I, I couldn't run with her and she didn't want to walk. And he was like one of the few people that was like always running. Yeah. So she he ran with her. Yeah. Like laps. So this like yeah. world champion runner and she was is keep- running side by side yeah. with our eight-year-old. Yeah. And at this picture, it's just like it sends like chills down my spine because I, I see it. I'm like, whoa. And she did it all by her choice. Like, mm-hmm. no one forced her. She just wanted to do it, and she did it mm-hmm. in her own time. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time thinking about why did this happen? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it didn't just happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. And what I concluded was I mean, and this is just a guess, but, you know, we, when we started running with our kids, we didn't force them to do it. We just did it. Mm-hmm. It started with me. And I had read a book called Born to Run. And I just started running. Mm-hmm. And then my son said he wanted to do it. He was 
Eight. Eight at the time. So we ran a marathon together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both finished. It was our first marathon for both of us. I was 35 or something. Uh, and all the kids watched it. They, mm-hmm. they all watched us crossing the finish line. And then and they said, as soon as we finished, they said, we want to do it next year. Mm-hmm. And they all wanted to do it. And basically, like, we read this other book. I don't know if this is a good book anymore, but it was formative for us. And it was called A Thomas Jefferson Education. And basically what they said in that book that really changed my life was if you want to make, well, first of all, they made the case that it's far better to have a kid who wants to learn than a kid that was forced to learn something because the difference is when high school is done the kids that was forced to learn they're they're going to view learning as oh i'm done with that and they don't really unless you're just like one of those people that takes information in like a sponge you're not really learning if you're forced to i know for me i didn't learn I don't learn much if I'm not really into what I'm learning. Yeah, you just have information that you like retain until quiz, and, and then, then you you're like, it. "I don't need this." Yeah. Um, but if you can create people that are passionate about learning, then when high school is done, they're still going to be passionate about learning. They're going to spend the rest of their life learning. Mm-hmm. So we became kind of obsessed with this model, and what this model suggested is the way you teach learning. Mm-hmm. Can you guess it? You got to show it. It's by learning. For yourself, yeah. You have to model learning itself. So if you want your kids to learn, what do you do? You learn now. Not like, you know, there's no being done with it. And I've found that this Mm -hmm. transfers to so many areas that if you want readers in your house, you need to love reading. I guess you don't need to love it, but you need to do it. And if you want learners, you need to learn. And if you want runners... You got to run. And I don't want to make this sound like a you gotta, like these are the rules. Yeah. And it's, I I think there's also, I think everyone has their things that they're passionate about. I think um, a lot of people don't realize what they're passionate about till much later in life. I think for me, I didn't know I was really passionate about music till I was in my, well into my 30s. Um so I, I, I think what's even more or just as important of helping your kids love learning is help them love what – help them discover what it is they actually love so about do, learning. So that's a great example. Like what is their passion? How do you do that though? By figuring out what is my passion yes. and then going for it. That's what's so cool because I think us taking ownership – of our own lives and realizing we being a good parent is not just about bossing our kids around and guiding and molding them. It's actually about modeling. Yeah. And leading through example. Yeah. Even in these ways cuz I'd always heard about leading by example, but it's always said in these weird ways about like moral structure and basically your kid's not going to jail or getting in trouble. Yeah. I'd never heard about it in this really releasing and empowering way because, um, and actually, you know, these people from uh, Greece that stayed with us this year, they made that observation because they, they were blown away. The female was, um, Nicoletta. Mm-hmm. She was blown away that Cammy stopped in the middle of the day and played the guitar. Because mm-hmm. she said in Greece, a mom does not do things that she likes 
her job is to take care of the kids. Mm-hmm. And she basically sacrifices her life for 18 years to do whatever she thinks the kids need. And I understand the virtue behind that. Like there's this sacrificial idea, but I actually don't believe that's best for the kid. I don't believe it's best for the mom. And I don't actually in the long run believe it's best for the kids. Or it's not even best for the world to be that, to not share whatever your gifts are with the world. Like discover them and develop them and share them. Because then you're going to create just another bunch of little sacrificers that give up their needs for what they think is the next generation of needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there, I don't want to shit on that model because I think there, it can be commendable, but I actually think that there's more to give than just your will. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes laying all of your interests and passions on the table does not best serve the people around you. Yeah. It's actually the easy way out. Yeah. And living into your uniqueness, your gifts is much harder, but actually it's how the kids, your kids will actually learn and tap into that themselves. So a few disclaimers I want to add. One is this is not a promise. Like just because you start running does not mean your kids are going to love it overnight, especially. But but if you actually do it and if you actually start to enjoy it and you're getting something out of it and mm-hmm. the kids are around it, that's mm-hmm. what was cool about this environment. There was 80-year-olds. There was people of all um, body weights, sexes, shapes, sizes, abilities. I mean, there was people that like – there was one guy that was like HIV positive and he says he was, this was a part of his recovery. Um, I mean, there's just all sorts of folks that were running for 24 hours. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, these are not like Olympic – not all Olympic style athletes. Oh, and then, the, and there was, you know, highly fit, yeah. you know, world level athletes. But they're all running the same course. They're running together, which I think is really cool. But by our kids just being around that and seeing that as an option, I'm fine if they grow up and they're like, screw running. I hate it. I never want to do it again. Yeah. But they've seen it and at least they're going to have to say no to it. Well, and they can transfer whatever they've learned through running to something else in their life. And I want to go back to the main title, which is don't force great activities, model great activities. I want to also be careful about defining great activities because a great activity is not necessarily reading or running. In fact, Cammie, you kind of said it yourself that there's something behind it and what, what I like about running, I, I personally don't even consider myself a runner and I don't care that much about the sport itself. But what I loved about this event was I saw people who are seeking growth. I saw people who are willing to challenge themselves. Mm-hmm. I saw people who are prioritizing their health and I saw people that were facing their fears. Yeah, Those are some of my values. Now, you probably have your own, whoever is listening out there your things that you consider great activities. Whatever it is, I don't care what it is. I'm not saying go out and run. But whatever those things are that you consider great activities, I guess I would just ask that you consider or ask the question, are you doing those things yourself? Or are you just trying to teach your kids to do them, but they don't even know what the hell it looks like because they don't see you doing it? I think there is this common thing with parenting especially in the past and maybe somewhat now where 
you know, you're like, I, I was never able to do all these things, so I'm going to help my kids do all these things. And it, it's kind of a cop-out. It's kind of a way of giving up on yourself and saying, well, wait a minute, maybe I can do these things and bring my kid along with me, you know, especially if you can make it look somewhat appealing. Because <laughs> um, I just think a lot of a lot of adults just give up on themselves. Yeah. Okay, the final point is don't just read good stories, write a good story. So this is much bigger than just this event for our family. This is kind of like a big picture philosophy for us. But, man... Okay, so there's a story. It's a tiny bit graphic, but you guys can handle it, I think. Um, so Seven was in a porta potty, and he says, he, the way he describes it, two porta potties down, he just heard someone barfing their guts out, and he said it just sounded like a waterfall. And then he just said, Yeah, for some reason it made me feel better afterwards. <laughs> and then he just, and then that was the end of his story. But, like, just to remind, well, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe people don't study story structure the way I do, but I read a lot of books on story because it's kind of like the thing I geek out on. But one of the veins that I study is, like, what is a story? What makes a good story? Well, a good story basically revolves around conflict. So the typical story, like, if you take the hero's journey, you have a guy, the protagonist, who is comfortable, and then something happens, and he is not able to make the change. He doesn't have the courage he needs. And then he finds a mentor. And then that mentor helps him face whatever it is he needs to face. And usually he leaves home or, you know, home, quote, unquote, like his home environment, whatever's comfortable to him. He goes into this other place and then he faces, you know, some sort of challenge or villain. And then at the end he comes back home, but there's something really important about how he comes back he always comes back different maybe he's brought something maybe he's a different person a different person than the the little boy that left so this is like star wars you know luke skywalker is is pissed that he's on this farm and he's like looking at the sky but he can't decide to go because his aunt and uncle want him to like work another month then he meets obi-wan kenobi and then he goes and by the end of the movie he's a completely different person Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good story and we love to read these types of stories but what I found is oftentimes we don't like to live them because whatever you have to face so it's not very it's not glorified most usually More, most parts aren't <laughs> that's the thing it's not like the movies that way I mean not that you don't have your moments of glory but to be able to get to that point well, you have to go through some like the movies crazy are shit. highly edited yeah <laughs> just right. like our documentary is gonna be yeah but you're not gonna see <clears throat> the part at the very beginning where I lost Rainier and I was in tears and come to find out all along he was just with Ben and the kids and I was like, <gasps> so there was seven hearing people barf in the porta potty, and there was multiple episodes of barfing. There mm-hmm. was me breaking out in cold s- sweats twice 
um, once laying on a bench where I felt like I had to uh, shit and barf at the same time, but I was four tenths of a mile away from a bathroom and I could not get up because my legs hurt so bad. Uh-huh. And I just was like, what do I do? And then I woke up in a tarp, like from in the middle of sleep, feeling the same way. And I was like, I can't move. Like, there's, what do I, you know? Mm. And then memory was saying that her teeth were chattering because her body went into shock. I mean, these are things like, these aren't lethal things, but those are the things that make a good story. Yeah. Like when you have that moment, the all is lost moment, and you overcome it. And I watched our kids and myself, by the way, and you when you found Rainier, <laughs> we overcame those moments. But a lot of times we just want to read those stories and be like, you know, we want to hear about people pushing their bodies and their limits. Mm-hmm. But we want to encourage our kids not just to read those stories, but actually to live our life in a way that reflects the type of story we would want to read. Mm-hmm. So uh, just a few like tools or questions in this area that we ask. One is, what is your family going to remember in 10 years from now? And like when I was playing racquetball today, <laughs> it was kind of funny because my buddy Tony that I play racquetball with, I was telling him about that, you know, the guys were asking, I was like, yeah, I did 60 miles, it's two marathons. And he's like, what the hell? I invite you to come on my boat with me <laughs> and you don't come on my boat. And then you're like, oh, it's a good idea to run two marathons. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I mean, he was like laughing and maybe he was hurt that I didn't come on his boat with him the one time he invited me. Aww. But he was having trouble with that distinction, you know, because I think people think we're crazy. Or but, why would you want that type of experience that is going to bring pain versus a type of experience that maybe is just pleasurable, like yeah. riding on a boat? And I'm not against boat rides or fun activities. We've just learned that some of these um, difficult experiences that sprinkle in pain and deprivation from a very comfort-addicted society a society of excess and plenty, which is great. Like we don't starve, but these things are the things that form our narrative and our character and that we remember in 10 years. And I remember being back in Seattle, there was this, this quintessential story where people would always say, cause REI is based in Seattle. You're, you're stuck between two mountain ranges and lakes and rivers and volcanoes you're and stuck. everything in a wonderful way. Sorry, the dog's barking. Um, hey, stop! Um, and um, and people would always tell a story about how they went to REI, bought all this gear, went camping, and then it poured rain for three straight days, the weekend, and then they got home, and then they said, I'm never camping again. And they're telling the story now five or ten years later. Mm-hmm. And I would always ask those people, I'd say like, well, what was the alternative? Mm-hmm. At least the camping adventure, you're still talking about it 10 years later, which means you remember it. The alternative back then was to stay at home and watch, what, season two of Lost or Alias or some shit? <laughs> like, you know, those are fine, but you will not remember it in 10 years. Yeah. But a lot of times people took that type of experience because of the pain. They considered it a failure, 
and they said, oh, I don't want to repeat that. Or it's like, well, maybe that's the very type of thing we should be repeating mm -hmm. is those types of stories that we remember because we're going to laugh. I mean, Seven <laughs> seven saying that he heard that lady barfing and memories, teeth clattering and me like having pools of sweat underneath me laying on a picnic bench. Like that shit was funny. Like and me picking an Airbnb that was a total dump. Oh I don't think people gosh. are over that one yet. But I do not even want to talk about I that. I think right now. someday <laughs> that'll be kind of funny. I have never paid for a night at a place <laughs> and left it early. Yeah, because it was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> hmm. Um. So the way, in terms of writing a good story, once again. I want to be careful that you guys don't take this too literally with what we did and be like, well, we need to enter a 24-hour race. But one question you can ask is, one, what are you going to remember in 10 years? And two, what do you really care about? What do you really care about that you've put off or sold out on it, basically, that you've said, oh, I can't do that because I got to work? or I can't do that because I'm married, or I can't do that because I have a kid, um, or I'm gonna do that when I retire, or something like that. What is that thing? I mean, is it a national park? Is it painting? Is it writing a book? Is it recording a podcast? Is it um, sending us money for our chair fund? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do think- plug. Yeah. I do think that, and I've, I've done this too, where we, I think raising kids and working are all admirable good things, but I think they can completely take over our lives where we don't have any time left for our dreams and our goals. And... Some people that actually might be true of, but I think probably most people that are listening that might not be true. That might you might be actually be able to do something to further your dream or your goal right now. Even if you have a two-year-old or even if you work 60 hours a week, there's probably something you can do. So I would love it if you guys would think about that in terms of what does a good story look like for you for your history for your personality type for your character for your experience what type of story would you want to read about that type of protagonist and then maybe put some things on the calendar for this next year um, especially if you have kids but even if you don't I would say you're worth it. I mean, you're still going to have the memory in 10 years. And are you going to remember another day of clocking in and getting paid to pay a bill? I mean, and once again, I don't want to shit on that activity, but I think it deserves to... Every activity we, we do, just because it's a social norm, doesn't make it the best for you. And this is just one of the ways that we've kind of architected our life is by asking this question is this contribute to this type of story we would want to read um and finally with this point i want to share kind of an effect that i hope for and i think 
you know, our oldest is 18 and our next is 16. So in some ways we're young parents and in other ways we've been at it for a little bit. But I think parenting is often relegated to creating restrictions. You know, you pay, you send the kids to school and then you might pay for college and you might teach them a thing or two, but really it's about no drugs, no jail, no being gay for some folks, no stealing, no swearing. No no, having sex for other folks. No, that kind of stuff. And what we've come to decide parenting more can be or is in terms of writing a good story is to give our kids better options than whatever we think is destructive. So instead of creating all these restrictions and saying, no, 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 no. Like when you take your kids to a 24-hour race and your eight-year-old is watching a world champion runner and and wanting to run through the night for for whatever reason, I still don't fully <laughs> understand it. You don't have to worry about how much time they're on the iPod. We didn't have to worry about if she was saying bad words or if she was eating Cheetos. She, we had just introduced her to a better she story. She was eating Cheetos, yeah. so you know. <laughs> but we gave them a better option. And, and that's just a – this is a question we always ask ourselves that I'm always asking is if my kids are on the Internet all the time, I assume – and I don't want to – this could be twisted so that you could like blame yourself, but I'm not seeing it that way, but I see it more as a challenge. What can I create in my house that's more exciting than the internet? And this is just one example of this 24 hour race. Like my kids, they all chose to do it, but they saw it and they were like, we want to come back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was exciting. There was energy there. And yeah, it cost like a thousand bucks when you take into account the gas and the registration and the shitty Airbnb and all that kind of stuff. But it's so much better for me to parent proactively and to lure, create a challenge for myself as a parent. Like how can we lure our kids into activities that we believe are healthy and irresistible that overshadow what we consider to be the lesser values or activities, mm-hmm. whether it be watching a bunch of movies or just texting all day on the phone. Um, and I believe that we've, done that and my kind of like metric for success in this area is like well actually i don't know how to say it except for if we succeed at this i think our kids are gonna want to be around us possibly for the rest of our lives but what i find oftentimes is that parents that are just creating restrictions it actually drives the kids away because they see the home life or even the parents as boring and they see them as the restriction creators. And restrictions are boring at the end of the day. I'm not yeah. saying they're not valuable or effective, but there's something better to live for. And if you are interesting or if you introduce your kids to bigger worlds, I think they actually do crave that and they want that. And they won't always choose it. But I was blown away that Flea, given the opportunity, chose it. Yeah. She knows the feeling of like, you know, crossing a finishing line and cheering and, and just the feeling you get when you are done running, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you never felt so, it's never felt so amazing to just like sit down and know that you don't have to keep on going anymore. Oh, the race is over. Yeah. <sighs> a lot there. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Let's move to the phones. Nope. Yep. Okay. That one. Hi, Ben and Cammy. This is Ashley from California again. Um, I called quite a while back uh, about sex stuff. But anyways, uh, let's see. What did I want to ask? I wanted to ask about how No Rules is working with your younger kids. Now, um, I know that you guys make agreements and things like that, but uh, an issue I ran into with my toddler the other night was she asked for macaroni, so I made macaroni, and by the time it was done, she wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I told her, absolutely not. So, how do you guys, with you know, quote unquote, no rules? How do you handle situations that crop up with that um, with your younger kids? Because I think it's I think it's actually a great thing to do with your teenagers, uh, but the younger ones can be a lot more challenging. So I would just like to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks so much. Bye. Love it. Yeah. I mean. It is different with our younger kids. It's diff, and it's especially different with Rainier. We don't give him as much freedom as our older kids. It's that's just me being trying to be honest here because I think it's not the best for him, and I think I would go insane if I gave him as much freedom as I give our sixteen-year-old. Um. But I do think I've become way more lax in the restrictive department with him. Um, but it's catered to his needs. So, I mean, using her ex- Ashley's example, the macaroni, I'd, I'd be like, I made you what you wanted. And this is like, if you want to eat, this is what you're going to have. I mean, I mean, I think even just making the kid what they want is pretty nice. <laughs> less restrictive um yeah well and for those of you that don't know we got rid of all our house rules in 2019 that's kind of a challenge we've been in um i don't think no rules means that you're gonna be someone's bitch (laughs) and do whatever they want that's not no rules no rules doesn't mean unlimited freedom like i'm gonna serve you to get you whatever you desire um, so using that example, I could just like charting our own personal change, like in 2018, back when we had rules, I could see us saying something like this, Rainier, um, you know, we make macaroni and cheese for him. He's our three-year-old now. And then he wants a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And we say, nope, you have to finish what's on your plate. That's the rule. And we kind of like create some blanket statement like that or, Nope, no peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on Thursdays. I mean, that's an extreme example, but we'd almost resort to something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2019, like I said, that doesn't mean you're someone's bitch. So if he says, well, I want this, I could see one of us saying, well, I'm not going to make you that because mm-hmm. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need it. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But the difference is, and it's a very important distinction, there's I statements, and we're talking about our feelings and our freedom 
and our desires. And now the child, even though they're young, is having to learn that people, different people have different desires. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not entirely sure. This is a big black and white experiment for us. So, like rules can be really convenient and nice because in a way they're shortcuts to those preferences Mm -hmm. but what we found back in 2018 and all of our life previous was i think we were overly dependent upon that shortcut type language we had all sorts of rules that after a while we didn't know why they were even there anymore like who they they served they just kind of served this general sense of restrictive stability um yeah, I think it, it's it was like so you didn't have to think about your own preferences and how your kid was affecting you or you were affecting them. It was just you could appeal to something outside of you. Yeah. Which is nice. I get it. You know, it makes things safer emotionally. Um and there's less for the kid to argue about, maybe. And people will say, and I agree with this, actually, that it offers a structure which smaller kids gravitate towards and value from and benefit from and they learn from. Yeah. But it's also a structure for them to encounter the preferences of another human. <clears throat> you mm-hmm. know, when they hit another kid, and if it's the Wild West, and the other kid hits them back, well, you don't need to have a rule that's no hitting. They're just going to learn, like, not yeah. to hit because they yeah. don't want to be hit back. So right. there's almost another structure of stability that starts to emerge um well yeah i mean the hitting thing i think most parents aren't comfortable with that because it's socially it stigmatizes them as like oh my kid's the bully yeah that's a tough example but going back to the pb and j or macaroni and cheese if you say i made you one meal yeah at for dinner i'm not gonna make you two because I don't want to, because I feel like I have better things to do with my time. I mean, that's you don't have to say all that. But yeah. essentially, you're saying it in the way that they understand that mommy doesn't want to make another meal. Yeah, You can eat this or you can eat nothing. Mm-hmm. That, that creates also a sense of order. Mm-hmm. If you're firm about that, I mean, unless you want to make your kids a million meals. Hi, Ben. Hi, Cammie. Barry here from Imperial Beach, California. Uh, my question is, have you guys thought of maybe once a week um, sharing news with us that can relate to where you guys are in, in your spiritual uh, journey in life? Um, yeah, maybe on the podcast, maybe read like a book club type thing of the uh as a bible uh appreciate your time a little nervous uh first time caller uh love you guys found you on the trail basically on youtube during my research uh of hiking anyway have a great day happy birthday ben message got cut off or it was like the message didn't come out clearly, obviously, but I I had a soft spot in my heart. First of all, because not many males call in. Yeah. And second of all, it was his first time call, so I wanted yeah. to play it. And I think we can guess about what he was going to say because he was, Spiritual. I think, asking why we're not more vocal about what we're learning. He used the phrase like some sort of Bible study or a weekly book club or something like that. Yeah. 
um, which I can understand where that's coming from. But I guess I'll answer first, and then I'd like to hear what you say. But mm -hmm. a lot of our Christian upbringing was a lot of talk that really was meant for this kind of like inside club. So people would share what they're learning, but they used all these ver verbiage of like what well, God taught me. And they'd kind of like drop these Bible verses or Bible language. That was really kind of like an insider. It was just an inside culture. And well, I, I guess that's what I came to learn it was. I thought it was like an actual spiritual thing. And then I realized, oh, this is just like, you know, I guess you could have black people talk to black people in a certain way or other people, you, you know, might use a different type of language um, or teenagers talk in teenager way to other teenagers and, and Christians talk to other Christians like Christians do. And, and I thought, well, that helps when you're talking to those people, but that's pretty limiting. And I would mm -hmm. actually want to talk to people. These lessons are bigger than to me that little group so I started asking this question just as a storyteller myself or as a communicator, what's the best way to share the message, the most accurate way that gets what's in my heart to the types of people that I want to reach? And sometimes we use the Bible and a lot of times we don't. Um, sometimes we use like Christian lingo, but a lot of times we don't. And I'm not married to just that people group though in terms of like who like even like the types of things that we talked about today, like, and what we've learned is best for our kids. So what we are trying to stick with sharing, at least on this channel, is just sharing our story and our experience and what we're learning. And sometimes it includes a Bible verse. A lot of times it doesn't. What drives me nuts sometimes though, is I hear, um, like I'm reading various authors and they're like using these Bible verses. And I'm like, that Bible verse doesn't actually make your message stronger except for people that value the bible or it doesn't like explain like so like if you were to use it to explain something yeah it actually it doesn't strengthen the actual story mm -hmm. it just kind of gives you insider cred to this certain group and i don't want that type of cred i i want to focus on whatever the best story is the art of the story and let the cred take care of itself yeah yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> All right. Hey, Crawfords. It's Katie. I'm from Maryland. Um, you asked to comment on what I like and what I don't like. Well, I love your podcast. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful, uh, your setup, and I'm cheering for you and your chair fund, although I'm sadly extremely poor and cannot contribute. I'm also really bummed out that you all won't be attending camp. And my question is that I'm wondering about your experience with therapists. Did you go therapist shopping, if you will? And what was that experience like for your family? Did you stick with the same therapist? Um, did you all get different therapists? Uh, I guess that's multiple questions. Feel free to pick one. The only thing that I don't like about the podcast is that sometimes I think Cammy has a lot of valuable information 
And Ben tends to cut her off sometimes, and that bugs me a little bit. But everybody has their quirks, and I think you all make a great team. And I appreciate that you share so much with the world and your viewers. Thank you so much for everything that you do and the conversations that you start. It means a lot to me, and it's been important on my journey. Take care. <laughs> I loved that phone call. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool how honest she, like she, yeah. Because a lot of people will just like write us off if they're like, ooh, strong male. Mm. But she was just being honest with how it made her feel. And, well, yeah, well, she, she said thought. it bugs me. Yeah. And she called it a quirk. Yeah. And like, so I, I want to, that's more interesting for me to talk about than the therapy thing. We'll get to the therapy thing. But I, I want to dissect this for a second because I really enjoy it. Um. <laughs> So we obviously have this dynamic where I'm much more the louder, outspoken one, and Cammie's more soft and quiet. Yeah, I'm more reserved. I don't have... I have opinions, but I don't have opinions as strongly as you do for most things. And I guess I got to say, feel free to interrupt any time during this, <laughs> given the topic. <laughs> um <laughs> And some people listen to our style and they get angry and they say things like, Ben, you're an asshole. You don't care about Cammy," And they kind of create this moral. Well, it's a victim victimizer type of thing when as if I'm not willingly yes, <laughs> saying, it... no, no, actually, he I don't want to talk. Or if I do, like sometimes it's not worth it to me or, or they're whatever. saying you can't. Right, like right. Like you were overpowered. And yes, so the second thing that happens is not only do I become the oppressor, but you then become a victim or the oppressed. They paint you in that way. Oh, poor Cammy. Right. She, you know, is basically getting walked on. And and that's really hard because we definitely have our personality dynamic. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I care about the most is not necessarily how it comes across, although I do care about that. And that's why I appreciate her feedback. But yeah. I care far more about what you think. Like, right. Do you feel valued in my relationship with you? Do mm -hmm. you feel heard? And we both have, ironically, yeah. I feel like I complain more about you interrupting me <laughs> than me interrupting <laughs> you, which doesn't happen much on the podcast. It's a different, yeah, that, that's in just different social formats. But yeah, and I definitely think there's times where I don't feel heard, but isn't that like so many relationships and yeah. dynamics where... And if I am having a problem, it's actually up to me <clears throat> to deal with my problem. But I'm louder, and yeah. I'm always, like, speaking up. It's, like, my personality. But I'm also always encouraging you to be louder. And this a mm -hmm. lot of this is behind the scenes. Like, people don't see this. But I'm yeah. like, man, record your music. Like, talk more. I would love mm -hmm. for you to take the camera and do this. And, you know, so anyways, I appreciate right. uh, Katie saying it bugs her because I think that's honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I also appreciate her not shoving that and moralizing or yeah. judging. Yeah, I didn't feel that. And she even called it like a quirk, which I think mm -hmm. it is. Not that we don't have our issues. but So right. anyways, thanks, Katie, for yeah. that constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. On to her question. Therapy. I think it's a far more boring answer. Yeah. I mean, we crash into therapy. Uh, long story there. 
Um, but we were having a crisis in our family or in our life, I guess, um, you could say. And that pulled us into therapy. And she was asking how we found it. Right. So, well, you had a reference. Yeah. Ben, we knew someone who who knew this therapist and we picked the highest paying or paid therapist. I wasn't paying. (laughs) Highest paid. We were paying. Therapist. And um, we've been going to him ever since. Ever since like three years ago, I think. Yeah, and he's kind of saved our ass, and now it's, I, I would say it's beyond ass-saving stage, but it's our primary value of ours to be growing and developing mm-hmm. intellectually and emotionally. Yeah. And I guess what I would say, because I don't think we have a very, it, it'd be one thing if we went through five therapists, we could be like, well, this is what we did to find one. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is in our experience, it has been worth it to mm-hmm. invest in our physical or emotional, relational, mental health. Yeah, health. And your emotional and relational health and mental health is worth it to invest into. I think our society doesn't pay much heed to that. And we invest in houses and fucking 18 outfits and 25 pairs of shoes. But mm-hmm. so that being said, I would highly recommend therapy to anyone that thinks they can afford it in any way shape or form find a way to afford it Mm -hmm. and also sometimes it's not going to work out you're going to go somewhere just Mm -hmm. like a restaurant and you're going to be like i don't really want to go back there then don't but 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 find another restaurant yeah i mean i guess find someone you trust uh to reference you to someone because it's kind of i would imagine be incredibly difficult to just pick someone out of well, we don't have yellow pages really anymore, but pick someone off the internet. <laughs> I don't know. Even then, there's but, yeah. there's Yelp and all sorts of shit. That's like, true. Yeah, I mean, you could. I would just say forward action. Find someone. Don't be worried about making a mistake. And then also don't be afraid of firing your therapist. Like, mm-hmm. I think it'd be really easy to get into a situation where they're not working or you don't like them, but you feel like you need to, you, like you have some sort of devotion to them. Mm-hmm. No good therapist should make you feel that way. No. They are there for you. Right. So if it's not helping you, then move the fuck on. Yeah. And find someone that is because it's your money and your time. So, and I think the the hardest, I, I think for a lot of people going to therapy before they even go once is really scary and really daunting. Um, but I think once you kind of develop a relationship, it becomes less that way for most people. And you can also talk about whatever you want to talk about. Cool. Thanks for the calls, everyone. Hope that helps. Um, Katie, let us know in the comments if you get this. Um, Okay. Now I have a... That's it for the podcast, but I have a very special request. I don't feel like we ask much of you. Uh, Speaking of, we do have this chair fund. If you do want to donate to that, um, we are going to be buying chairs. I'm thinking about doing it soon Mm -hmm. Um, because... These wooden stools that we sit on are not comfortable. And we're going to be remodeling where we do our podcast, too. Moving it to the- a different theoretically. Lo- location. <laughs> um, but this thing that you can do that will help us is if you could subscribe to our podcast YouTube 
channel, which if you go to YouTube and if you just type in Fight for Together podcast, we have a YouTube channel. And if you subscribe to it, and here's why, we have 898 subscribers. I need a thousand to be able to turn ads on. That's just like their rule. So, so we currently have no way. Well, we we've made fifty dollars off ads from Anchor, mm-hmm. but that isn't like that's at, that, at forty nine like, episodes. That's a dollar an episode yeah. so far. So, we're we're trying to like at least pay the bills with this podcast so that we can cover our own gear and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this will help us. So all you have to do is subscribe to our podcast YouTube channel. You don't even have to watch it. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to like it. You can just subscribe. Yeah. Just subscribe. That would We would appreciate it if you consider that. Um, if you want to leave a message for this Q&A section, you can do that. The phone number is 206-651-5744. That link, as well as the YouTube channel, are in the show notes or the description I think mm-hmm. that's it. I hope this topic was helpful for you guys. And keep on keeping on with these tough topics about family and together. Peace out. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.